Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabe, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past. It continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Welcome to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast about the Public Service Alliance strike of 2023. I'm David. I'm going to be one of the hosts of this episode, and we've got three guests and another member of Solidarity Winnipeg joining us today to talk about this important experience. So let's start with some introductions. Okay, uh, my name is uh, Christopher Rigaud. I am a Chief Shop Steward of PSAC Local 50770. Um, and um, I was uh, certainly involved in the strike, not as much as some other people, but uh, you know, have, have some experience um, uh, with labor unions. But this was actually my first time being on a picket line myself as a striking worker. So sort of a unique, unique experience for me. Uh, and I'm Craig Adolf. Uh, I'm the treasurer for Local 50770 with CEIU uh, and the uh, co-young worker rep for Manitoba and Saskatchewan as well for CEIU. And I'm Carrie Devigno-No, and I am the president for CEIU uh, component 50770. So uh, we fall under PSAC, the Canada Employment Immigration Union. Um, and so I'm also the national vice president-elect for Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and will be serving that term from 2023 until 2026. Um, I am was part of the organization in the strike within Winnipeg um, and was really honored to have a great team with Craig and Chris on the line. Um, but like Chris, it was my first experience on a picket line um, and we definitely all learned together. Very excited to be here. I should just explain for listeners who don't know that the Public Service Alliance of Canada is a very large union that encompasses a whole bunch of different groups of workers, not all of whom were on strike in, in this particular strike, and has a structure that's a bit more complicated than some unions. Uh, and so the CEIU that was referred to earlier, the Canada Employment Immigration Union, is one of the components of the PSAC. Hey, I'm Teddy. I'm the other Solidarity Winnipeg member here, and I'm very excited for this conversation. So thank you, everyone, for being here. And uh, I'm also part of a union in my workplace, but 
for the purposes of this conversation, I'm, I'm really coming in as a Solidarity Winnipeg member. Great. So I want to start off with asking um, all of you who were on strike, um, what's your sense in terms of before the strike started, what members were thinking, how they were feeling about what they wanted out of this round of collective bargaining and what they were prepared to do to get it? I guess I can start on answering that question and maybe um, Craig and Chris have some more to build on it. But um, as you mentioned, David, as you know, PSAC, we were on the line with 155,000 um, members nationally. And so, like you said, we have a very large and complex structure. Um, we are only from one component within PSAC and um, a large ongoing, ongoing task immediately preceding the strike was identifying who our members were actually, um, who our members were. And so we had so many people hired during the pandemic, many who are just entering a unionized workforce for the first time. Um, so the understanding of the role of the union, the collective agreement, the negotiation and bargaining process, um, the labor movement, um, it was really, it took a lot of us within our executive roles to really help the members understand um, just the basic union organization. And so we saw from the tenured staff, you know, they know the drill in bargaining and they were willing to follow the recommendations of the union. But um, after coming out of the pandemic with the different conditions that they endured during the pandemic, they just, we saw that there was a lot of energy that people didn't have to really um, come to the extra meetings that we were holding and try to, you know, raise the awareness of the strike. So we definitely um, struggled with seeing the engagement um, and and having people um, like getting their accurate feelings. Um, and then we also, of course, can only speak to the members of our component and of our local, but um, we definitely did find it challenging to reach our membership and really find out how prepared they were and what they were willing to to do to be able to get the best deal out of this round of bargaining. I think there was a lot of sort of uh, tension building up around the inflation or the rate of inflation and like, you know, people were very conscious of like how much the cost of living was going up at that time. Um, and when you sort of looked at the offers that were on the table, like the union offer sort of came in before inflation really hit its peak. Um, so the ask from the union was meant to be sort of ambitious. And by the time we sort of were getting to the sort of the, the actual sort of point of contention where we were going out on strike, like it was a very reasonable sort of offer, almost like an employer side offer by the time you get to that point. And, uh, and seeing that versus where the employer was coming in, we were requesting 4.5% a year for three years and the employer was offering something just over 2% a year on average um, with the cost of living, what it was, it was like, I think a lot of people, it did not take much convincing for them to see like, we are in a justified position in terms of our ass. Um, so I think, I think that was pretty widespread um, and almost like in, people were intuitively ready to like hear the argument at that point. Yeah, and I would I would just add, I mean, the pay for sure, I think when we, I mean, the process takes so long from where you start putting together your proposals and you start thinking about what you want to bargain for. By the time you actually are in a strike position, like the, the ground had completely changed up from underneath us in terms of inflation, um, <clears throat> like Greg was saying. So I think there's, 
you know, we kind of got caught with our pants down a little bit on that. I don't think it was really avoidable, but it was not great. Um, the other big issue that seemed to be very uh, central for a lot of people was the remote work provisions. It's not something that applied to everybody. We had certainly in our component, we have lots of members that are and have always been in the office never really went home or never went home for very long to work, um, work like working from home, I mean, um, just because they're more public facing or, or whatever. But uh, for the worker, for the members that are, have been uh, predominantly working from home, I think it was, uh, there was a, there was a, a kind of a rushed announcement in December uh, of last year, where we went from we're all going to get you back in the office eventually, but it's not happening tomorrow to we're going to get you back in the office in three months and we're not going to give you a hell of a lot of details. So good luck with childcare. Um, and I think there was, you know, a lot of um, animosity towards the employer. A lot of kind of people were pissed off by that. Uh, and I don't know if it was, it was kind of evenly distributed throughout the union, but um, certainly a ton of the online chatter that I saw leading up to the strike was very focused on that. So whether that sort of, <clears throat> you know, how that impacted the strike and how that impacted the bargaining, I, it's kind of hard to say, but I think as a kind of um, motivating issue, I think that pissed enough people off that they were far more likely to vote yes and kind of, you know, talk a good game about going on strike and, and that sort of thing. Okay, thank you. Um... Now, when it comes to union power, I think a lot of union officials have forgotten that uh, the foundation is really workers in the workplace. So I'm interested in any quick thoughts you might have about what the condition of PSAC organization was like in workplaces before the strike. What I would say is wildly inconsistent depending on where you are in PSAC. I think there are some locals that have their act together. Um, I think ours is, is reasonably well organized. Um, there are some locals that there is, there's many locals that don't have a functional executive, don't have officers, like don't have communications going internally between that local, you know? Um, yeah, I think it is very much all over the place. And you could, you could see that on the picket line that some locals sort of were, you know, a little more ready on the ground and some locals were not. And I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, it's speculating an analysis to some degree, but I do think that PSAC, you know, as much as it's like, I think David, I've heard you describe it as like Byzantine or whatever, like it, it's a very complex, different layers to it, lots of complexity to who's in charge of what and, and who to report to for what issues and stuff. But um, I, I do think it is, a, frankly, probably more democratic than other unions I've been a part of or other unions I've sort of seen in terms of how they operate. And I think one of the, you know, I think that's a good thing, but one of the downsides or one of the consequences of that is there is that inconsistency, right? Like a lot of the times you, like anyone who shows up and wants to put in the work, you can like really jump in easily and, and start taking action on things and organizing, um, relatively speaking, but uh, it, it's, that means, you know, when there isn't someone actively volunteering to do it, a lot of times stuff doesn't get done um, because it's not, it's just not put on staff as much. Uh, although there is lots of stuff that we have staff for, we do have staff. It's just, you know, relative to other unions I've seen, I do think it is sort of 
more democratic and that sometimes leaves little vacuums where stuff sort of is missed. Yeah, I think like how how Craig, uh, Chris discussed um, a lot of the members being at home, again, it was it was apparent that it was difficult for us to reach the membership um, prior to the strike. And so when we talk about like the workers being the foundation of the union power, we have to be able to reach them and communicate with them in order to really, um, you know, educate them, empower them, and really, like Craig talked about, getting that democratic process and hearing all those voices going. And so, I mean, I, I harp on it all the time, but um, with PSAC, one of our struggles is really identifying that membership. And it's been a huge and ongoing struggle for us um, as components of PSAC because they they are our bargaining unit. So they hold the info sharing agreements with the employer and um, they get the information, but getting that information to us so that we can actually organize our membership adequately and um, know the needs of the component. Like it definitely was apparent on the line that um, PSAC really didn't know our membership and what they were willing to do, what they were willing to, and, and they didn't really use the elected voices that are there organizing members um, to get that information from us. So that was definitely a struggle um, and hope that in the future we can organize better by knowing our membership. That's very interesting, Carrie, and it, it leads to the next question that I wanted to bring up, which is maybe in a broader sense, what's your take on, on how well PSAC, you know, national uh, staff and, and full-time officers prepared for the strike? And now looking back on it, what should have been done differently in order to be better prepared? I mean, I'll, I'll kind of speak more towards just the Winnipeg strike. Um, the PSAC staff were really the drivers of the strike. Um, they were the ones that put the training together. They called on the officers um, that were elected to organize. Um, but really, a lot of that organization, it wasn't planned in advance. And so it happened really just in the last couple of weeks, right before the strike. And one of the major pitfalls that I saw was that we didn't have enough bodies um, to really do that organization. And we should have had committees. We should have had the electeds represented in those committees saying, this is my members. This is what they're willing to do. This is our workplaces. Um, this is how we're going to really roll a strike out. Um, it became apparent as we were on the line that there wasn't much of a plan. And I was a main voice between the staff and the line as a picket, as a strike captain. Um, and I communicated with the staff. There were very few of them on a daily basis. Um, but really, I mean, they, they tried their best and they, the communication from national was often delayed. We would find out sometimes as a component before the staff would find out. And so um, they really were waiting on national. We were planning on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, we, we definitely, as the days went on, realized that we needed some more organization amongst ourselves. And so that's where Craig and Chris and I really started to step up and, and do a few of the things that we'll touch on, I'm sure later on, but um, organize amongst ourselves because we really knew as much as the staff, they were putting in long hours, they were doing as much as they could. Um, 
and we didn't have our elected voice was in Ottawa for PSAC because she was the um, the technical advisor for the bargaining team, and so we really didn't have a lot of leadership here as far as PSAC. <laughs> so um, yeah, we definitely realized throughout that we had to step up and um, bridge that gap of communication between the staff. But uh, yeah, it was it was a challenge for sure. Yeah, I have uh, I have a lot of sympathy for the people that are you know kind of the national you know national officers and uh, you know national staff um, because planning a strategic you know planning a strategic strike for 150,000 x plus people is um, a gargantuan task. Uh, planning a strike that big for 150,000 plus people who haven't been on strike in almost two decades is even a bigger task um, because nobody except for the real like long-term folks really knows what the heck they're doing or really has that direct experience. Um, you know, it was, it was a massive undertaking. I think the problem, part of the problem was like Carrie was saying, it sort of seemed like the, the preparation rolled out in earnest fairly soon before the strike happened. Um, you know, and I feel like it, there, there's maybe a bit of a catch-22 there in the sense that membership weren't paying as much of attention to the strike potential until we got closer to the date. So it's hard to get people engaged, you know, but if you don't get people engaged ahead of time, it's hard to prepare for the strike. You know, I think there was a bit of sort of um, they were playing their cards a little too close to their chest. Like they were sort of national leadership and the strategic direction was sort of very sort of uh the direction was coming from on top and we like carrie was saying we kind of took a few days in before we realized okay we're not really getting enough direction on how to escalate this or how to put pressure on or how to organize better let's just figure something out and so we did but i don't know i mean i'm sure many many pickets did not do that uh, many i'm sure did but i'm sure many did not I don't want to say it was too top down because I think with that many people on the picket line, you do need a certain amount of centralized strategic planning, but like, yeah, there wasn't really much invitation for, you know, the rank and file to get involved uh, or like the, you know, local, the components to get involved, let alone the locals, let alone the rank and file. So it was, um, um, yeah, sort of difficult that way. So. I, I do suspect in some ways that our next strike will be better and that will be a different kettle of fish, but you know, that's who knows how many years down the road. I think we, you know, as much as you don't want to say it beforehand going in, especially to Alta membership, we were probably going to have to stumble through a strike like this before we are coming out ready to like really really win big gains in, a, in another one because we just were so far removed from the last strike we were so far removed from membership like knowing what was required day to day and like what would have to go into it for preparation um like the staff did all they could but it took a while for us to realize i think that like you know carrie and and us in, a, in supporting roles could just like show up and start doing something to like move our our portion of the strike long and like no one was really going to be there to stop us <laughs> it's like you know you know we yeah like you know not we, not that it's it's counterproductive what, what we're doing is productive but no one was telling us to do it it took a while for us to figure out that like okay we can just start doing stuff and it's going to like 
help advance the broader the broader project without well and that we had you know, to jump in that we that should we yeah. not jump in that we were not moving this along like at certain points we were standing there thinking you know okay we're not really achieving what we want to achieve here does someone have a plan and it took us a couple of days, like Craig said, to realize, no, no, someone doesn't have a plan. So we better step up and make a plan because especially with our region, um, you know, we were really, we had some money behind, you know, wanting to really mobilize and help our membership and make sure that they weren't facing the issues that, you know, everyone was, you know, the inflation and cost of living stuff. So we were, you know, paying our members to be there. And in the end, we we needed to mobilize them and make sure that we were not just, you know, coming up with no action behind this money. So it did take us a little bit, I think, in the end, though. Um, and like I said, we'll touch on it a little bit more, I'm sure, later on. But we definitely took actions to try and move things along. But um, we, at certain points, got on the phone. I remember talking to PSAC staff saying, we can't keep this going like this. You know, we're just, we need people. We need to move things along. And things weren't moving along. Thanks for sharing that. That sounds like, it sounds like there was like this realization of this need to take a different course. And also, it seems like you you found a way to be part of that team to do that rather than just sort of recognize it and say like, oh, I guess we're not, I guess a moment's passing. So that's that sounds pretty like in reflection, it sounds very, very um, like there was sort of an awareness of it in real time happening. Um, so that's very fascinating. Um, another question we have is, and you kind of already talked about this a bit, but um, maybe getting more into the details about how did you prepare for the strike in your local um, what were the sort of things that you were doing when you realized that it's that's what's coming and I know that there's a whole bunch of things you've described about wanting to do differently but what were some of the things that you did actually do in preparation um I maybe will start with that um like I said over and over identifying our members has been a daunting task and the number one thing that has really um been a a big piece of our locals organization. And so Craig and he man, like put together a team and he really just um, drove the calling of members and made sure that people knew who their local was, got everything organized and gave people a voice to talk to and developed those relationships with people. Um, the communication and having that individual touch with those individual members was was really key. We really took a lot of opportunities to hold our meetings. We, you know, had a number of general meetings to get the information about what our bargaining demands were out there. Um, we had a number of town halls. We had we just really put together newsletters to make sure that our 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 members had constant communication about where things were at um, and just made sure that we were on top of that communication. The communication and the building relationships was was super key for our local. The day before the strike, we realized that 
members wanted more information. And so that day we threw together a Zoom meeting and half a day that evening, we had over half of our membership show up and we had just excellent attendance. And at that point, we really knew that we had done something. Our team had done something really well, which was building that relationship and reaching the members. Um, because turnout for general meetings, like I talked about before, people are so busy and have such busy lives with other things outside of the union that um, it obviously showed us that the number of people showing up, this was an important topic to them and that they felt comfortable and that it was a priority enough that they could come to this meeting and really understand where we were at. And that really helped build our ability to organize them within the strike later on. So our local, I'm so, so, so proud of our team um, and the work that they did prior. And I think that the feedback that I received, the feedback that I still receive even nationally amongst other components is, you know, our local, the work that we did on the line, um, it was recognized nationally because of the work that we did prior to the strike. And I think there's kind of like waves of that too. Like, I mean, Carrie mentioned the sort of calling campaign or whatever we were doing shortly before. And we did some actually after the strike as well, um, just to sort of follow up stuff. But uh, like, you know, I don't know if it was a year or two years before, it might've been both actually, but Carrie was doing the same thing, calling through all our locals members, just to like introduce yourself as the new president, um, just touch base, make sure people's contact information was up to date and like build a, a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with like the hundred or so members. I think it's a bit more now, but hundred or so members that we were sort of dealing with. Um, so just like being able to make people aware of who she is, what are their issues, uh, you know, what what's coming down the line, uh, and that, that sort of stuff, just, and building that personal relationship. So when they do have an issue, they know who to reach out to. Like that, that stuff I think was invaluable for like uh, getting us to a point where we, but it wasn't in, uh, immediately preceding the strike, but it was all building up to the strike so that when th those roots were sort of established, right, it was, these things have a longer time cycle than, you know, a month before the strike. Um, and, and I think that was sort of paid dividends in that sense. Well, and, and when it came down to, when, when you talk about building those personal relationships, right, so and I talked about like mobilizing them on the line a little bit, and this is going to bleed into another question a little bit, but... <laughs> Um, it came down to the fact that our members trusted us and they knew that I wasn't going to ask them to do anything that we wouldn't do ourselves. I wasn't going to get them into trouble. I wasn't going to get them, you know, we, we knew the limits and the boundaries, but yet we, we also knew how we needed to mobilize and organize them. And so when it came down to one of the, the bigger mobilization activities that we were planning, they knew that I wasn't going to put them in a place where they might get tickets or, um, you know, some sort of trouble, but it was really important building that trust in those relationships. Yeah. And I think one thing that was, um, you know, uh, clear from my, my union activity prior to coming to this job in this, in this union, and is certainly true throughout the strike, and leading up to it and since then is um, the more people don't understand what's going on, the more scared they get and the more likely they are to be reacting in a way that's not productive. And we saw that with 
like how does a strike work? How does a, how do I get my strike pay? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, is it scary for me to be on the line? Am I at risk of getting a ticket or am I at risk of getting in trouble with my boss or like whatever? All those kinds of fears that are totally rational fears to have, uh, I think. The national union struggled with, it's not that they weren't communicating the answers to those questions. There was FAQs posted on the website about that stuff and, and whatever, you know, and they were putting out communications, but it was, um, I mean, again, 150,000 plus people across the country in a whole pile of different workplaces. Um, some people more engaged, some people less engaged, some people's locals more able to communicate stuff less, some people's locals less able to. Um, and I think what our local did with our, that the meeting before, that, that meeting on the eve of the strike, the kind of the call throughs um, we had, I think it was daily pretty much throughout the strike um, or close to daily, our newsletter that we pumped out um, <clears throat> was, I think all of that stuff combined made a massive difference in at least our membership in terms of just being like, oh, okay, this isn't actually that big of a deal. I don't actually need to freak out about this. This is fine. Um, whereas, you know, if you spend time on the Federal Public Service Reddit, um, and there's a whole pile of people who don't have a hot clue what the hell's going on, and they're freaking out about this, and they're freaking out about that, there was a pile of uh, Facebook chats that popped up at the beginning of the strike with members and like try to do a little bit of like putting out fires in there, but just massive amounts of confusion and not understanding what's going on and like extremely basic questions that should have been answered earlier, but just they weren't right. They didn't have that for whatever reason. So um, yeah, I think, you know, if every local could kind of pump out that level of communication to their members um, I think it would have been a completely different scenario, but I also understand that that's not, not every local is in a position to do that. Um, and it is kind of a big challenge for sure. And one other thing, I think this kind of ties back to the last question a bit, but I, I think, you know, we had these roots and we, we were in a position to sort of learn during the strike that like, uh, you know, we talked about how, like, there was a point where we were like, oh, no one else is going to do these certain things on the strike line that like, we have to jump in and, and do them my i have i do have a bit of a concern that like where there was like nose highs where this where there is this high like higher level of stress and confusion that chris was talking about that some of the takeaways going to be like you know we had a great takeaway from the strike and we we're learning and like we're bringing that those lessons to the members and they're learning it as well because they went into it with, with a little more confidence i do worry about where there could be pockets of people just feeling like okay you know we went on strike we didn't get everything we want and like the takeaway is going to be the exact opposite you know and I think those are two things where you're going to have pockets, like competing pockets of like, some people feel really good and like learn things. And even though we didn't get everything out of the strike, and there's going to be pockets where people have like a nihilist takeaway because they have no connection to the union and like those roots weren't established going into it. And so I know I, I, I hope it's not, you know, too severe, but I, I I'm kind of like concerned that that could be a takeaway for like large chunks of, because it's, you know, we're talking about over a hundred thousand members that like we you know we only see parts of the union and i'm worried about those parts where it is more chaotic and less sort of like less organizing happening but yeah i think that's a really good point and i mean i'm hearing the themes about how important it is uh in the lead up to build trust build relationships do that long long time work and how even in the case 
going into a strike, which is a stressful for the reasons that have been described. And as we can all imagine, um, how that that would put you in a position to uh, actually be able to sift through that and and take away something that's not uh, going to just default to demoralizing or kind of, um, you know, really uh, panicked or fearful kind of sense, um, particularly because there are relationships to not go through it and be alone or be outside of the loop of information. So I think the points you're making make a lot of sense. And I think that's great for people to hear that um, wherever they're doing that kind of organizing, because you can't just do that uh, at the drop of a hat when you, you need to have that kind of going before before you've got to go to battle, so to speak. But I think that's a great chance for me to segue into the next question, because we've been alluding to some of these things for a while, and I know you have a lot to say on it. So um, the question is just to get a bit more details about how the strike unfolded. Um, and what you did where you were, because you know there's there's a lot to there's a lot to to learn from that. That sounds like really awesome too. So let's speak about that. How did it unfold, and what did you do where you were? Maybe I'll tell a little bit of a story quick. Um, so I was a strike captain, and when PSAC started doing the organization of who were taking the roles of strike captains, picket captains, um, most of our component was not available. And so we came back to them and said, you know, CIU is, you know, 38,000 members nationally. We're one of your largest components. We need to be represented and make sure that our members have their voices and their electeds on the line. And so um, we really had to pressure them to say, hey, like, look at us, we're 38,000 members here, like, and so um, they had kind of come to us almost, I, and had had identified all of their, the, the volunteers in place already, and at one point they came to me and said, oh yeah, we, uh, we don't think we're going to picket your building, so, you know, you could just kind of fade into the background, and I, I was like, okay, um, okay, that, and I was a little bit concerned. And so finally I talked to Craig and Chris a little bit more and I said, and, and I found my voice again. And I said, I don't think that this is really helpful because I think when we identified who had the information about our members and who had the relationships with our members and who could really, again, know what our members were um, willing to do on the line. And as far as, um, you know, following sort of the leadership that they had, we needed to have certain people who were elected in certain places. And so I definitely came back to them and said, are you, are you sure with the decision that you made that you don't have, you know, the electeds in the picket captain roles? Because I think that, you know, we need to be available for our members and we need to be the ones that are really making sure that their voices are represented and heard. And because we do that within our role as elected members, that that's kind of the, the positions that we should take on the line. And so um, they came back and they said, oh, yeah, OK, we need you guys on the line. And and uh, really, we saw that we we were needed in that all of our we needed all of the voices all of the volunteers that we possibly could have there um i don't think that psac really understood the amount of bodies that were needed to organize the amount of members that we have in this city 
Um, we had five downtown lines identified. So we had five separate picket captains. Um, very quickly, we, we realized that the downtown was saturated. We had um, members, it was a struggle for them to just walk in a little area right in front of the certain buildings that we wanted to picket. And so they much preferred going and doing the large line, walking all the way from Broadway um, to the taxation line, which was at 360 Main Street. Um, and so we had them crossing through all five lines rather than organizing those people at one building, which had never even been something that we thought that we would plan in the beginning. So the members kind of, um, they took some steps to throw us off our game a little bit as far as what we were planning. And so that's where we realized that those picket captains and the strike captains on the ground were really needed because we really needed to shift the game plan very quickly and be on that ball as far as, okay, we still need to make sure that the doors are picketed. We need to make sure that we don't have workers crossing. Um, how are we going to do this? We had um, the Essential Services Act that we haven't even touched on a little bit. So we still actually had a number of our members crossing the picket line and some feelings of um, animosity from both sides. Some of them wanted to be out with us on this picket line. Some of them really wanted to be in the workplace because they had a solid income coming in. And so um, we had that to deal with and be there for those members and make sure that we didn't have people who were crossing that shouldn't have been crossing. Um, and so we we definitely had a number of things going on. We didn't have the greatest weather we had, I think Craig, Chris and I were at the windiest city corner in all of Winnipeg. Um, and it was definitely a struggle keeping people motivated within the rain, sleet, snow, hail that we got, the huge winds. Um, we were losing people to take breaks very quickly. Quickly, we were, they were just, they, they wanted frequent breaks. And so, um, one, I think one day after our four hours or our shift, mine, mine wasn't four hours, but I would get home. So every day I usually went from 6 a.m. until 2 p.m. I would get home and then I would start talking to our executive. And so the chat started going and they're saying, people want breaks, people want breaks. And so finally I said to them, okay, let's organize breaks then. And so that was when our education sessions unfolded on the line and so Craig and Chris had prepared some information that they can talk about a little bit more to share with our members and um, we had also kind of identified trends of people not understanding components people not understanding um, why we were there what PSAC was even um, the questions that they had, just base base quest questions that we wanted to be able to answer them. We thought, you know what, why don't we prepare these breaks and provide them information sessions during these breaks? And so we did. And we offered these sessions every hour um, on the hour and had these, these break sessions alongside the building, the site that we were at. And they were so well attended. And when I say that I get feedback nationally, um, 
every convention that I go to, people come to me and they say, share that information that you developed for the education sessions with me. I heard about your line in Ottawa, or I heard about your line in Vancouver because of those information sessions that you guys prepared. So that was one thing that, you know, we just changed on the fly when we realized we were losing people. Kate, let's, you know, meet their needs and let's give them that information that they want. And even at the last, I was at a, a convention this last weekend and I had members come up to me and the feedback that they said was the only time we learned something on the line was when you guys prepared that information session and provided that education on the line. We adapted on the fly to a lot of different things. It unfolded differently than we initially planned. Um, we have great pictures of a very, very organized line and we have great pictures of a very saturated downtown Winnipeg with a lot of picketers all over the place. Um, so we've learned a lot um, and definitely have a lot of takeaways for next time. But all that to say, we it was exciting. It was an exciting time to learn on the fly. I'm going to jump in and say yeah. to anyone listening who didn't get a chance to go to the the picket line. Um, I, I had the chance to go one day because um, it worked with my work schedule and it was exactly how you described Carrie, like the amount of people, um, the the length of the line, the the going all the way from Broadway up Main Street and then um, crossing Main Street again and being kind of parallel with Portage for a bit. Uh, it was, uh, yes, those photographs in mind or in experience or on actual photograph are are huge and um that is very interesting what you said but um chris and craig if you have anything else that you wanted to add to that question please jump in yeah i think um like carrie was running like everything so she <laughs> she had like very full days and I, I think even her telling of it sort of undersells like she'd be there like you know i don't know what two hours before i woke up in the morning and lives out of town so i had to like drive in a long commute as well and then she would be like on the phones talking to people nationally, to PSAC, to CEIU, the local executive, making sure that those newsletters were getting developed with other members of our executive, uh, uh, Maureen, our secretary, um, until like after midnight, I think a lot of times. So it was like, uh, I think 12 hour days would be underselling it, frankly, but I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that's like a bit under, but um, yeah, Chris and I were, were just the regular, you know, four hours a day, folks, and, and we were, you know, not that that was that was easy. It was a lot of walking, but we were talking about like, you know, Carrie brought up like we need to find ways to to put people somewhere, and so we, like, I had been working on uh, uh, numbers on like, you know, people wondering what is the the strike are the 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 strike numbers really mean in terms of like pay rates and stuff, like, you know, the two point zero seven percent a year that the employer offered versus the four four point five the union was asking for, and what was coming is the the pick offer and the, or the pick recommendation in the middle, like what do those actually look like in dollar amounts? And so I had been kind of trying to firm up the numbers and do a bit, a big report on like our Excel sheet on like, what does that actually look like in terms of each classification's wages? Uh, and then sort of brought it to Chris and we, we'd been talking to people about it one at a time and Chris helped like comparing it to the inflation numbers and stuff. We, we basically made like a big sandwich board um, that sort of laid it out and then had sheets with like for each classification people could ask what it was and we gave them you know 
this is what the employer is offering you. This is what the union's asking for. Um, and, and really to, to sort of hit home, like what is actually on the line in terms of dollar amount for you at the end of the day, like you're, you're losing out compared to inflation. If you're, you know, uh, a PM two by this many thousand dollars a year and it, and it stacks up over time, that, that sort of thing. So people could really understand what we're actually fighting for. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we were doing these little sessions where we'd put up the sandwich board and say, uh, you know, info session actually every half hour. And, uh, and people would sort of wander over and, and ask about it. And we'd do little info sessions for the smallest one we did was to one person. And the biggest one we did, I think was probably about, I'm, I don't know if I'm over counting, but I think about 50 people. And it would just be like every half hour, we'd be doing those sessions. Um, the wage ones were the first ones when we, we started to do a bit more on, like Carrie said, components and, you know, how do you fit into your union? Um, try to make sure people understood like, uh, strike pay top-ups, different components have different rates of strike pay top-up to, to compare to like the 75 a day that PSAC was offering. Um, and so really hit home for those people who are not getting those top-ups because some components didn't offer them. You know, how do you go back and make sure your component is offering them? How do you make sure your local is ready so that if we go on strike another three or four years from now, that you're in a position to offer those to your members, right? Um, so making sure that people sort of leave at the end of the day and at the end of the strike with some take home information on how to get things ready for the next strike uh, so that they come in ready next time. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the most sort of exciting thing that I've gotten to do with the union was just, you know, every, every day seeing like dozens and dozens of people come through, pick, take some information and leave knowing that a good chunk of them are going to be able to, to bring that back to their own locals and stuff on, on how to get ready for the next strike. And, uh, leave feeling like the strike made sense and that they had value in it like we had we had no negative feedback when you showed them the dollar amounts on like what's on the actual on on the line for the strike and i think when people left our the sessions they were like more gung-ho about staying on the line and, and and just saw the value in staying out um so i don't know, I don't know. Chris could go on in their head right like we just <laughs> it was people just all of a sudden they would come to us and their moods would kind of be dampered and you know like i said the conditions were not that great but the light bulbs would went on and they just were feeling so empowered when they left those sessions that they could mm -hmm. make a difference and that they had the information that they really wanted mm -hmm. yeah i don't and chris i'm sure could offer some more insight yeah, I mean, I think there's just two thoughts that jumped out at me. I mean, I think I could probably feel like I could do that presentation with my eyes closed at this point. We did it so many times, but um, <laughs> it uh, it was it was really interesting because um, you know Craig and I both work in communications um, for our regular day jobs, and there was definitely an aspect of like, okay, this is sort of our skill set. This is our professional capacity, whatever we can do this little roadshow thing and, and make a go of it. Um, and so there was sort of like a, you know, um, we had members in the local, Greg and I, who kind of had the capacity and ability to do that. And so we tapped into something that was there and used the resources that were available. And that's, you know, I think anybody with some help could probably do those same workshops. It's like they were wildly complex ones, but um, it's sort of a good example of how, tapping into the resources that you have within your local, within your membership, um, can sort of get you a lot of bang for your buck, I think. Um, the other thing that was really interesting about those workshops is, um, 
you know, we would do them and uh, we, you know, we had some people that would like come back for a second round. They wanted to hear the information again, or they like would bring their coworkers or whatever. Um, and yeah, when you started getting people of, oh yeah, I heard about your workshop. I like, I made sure I walked over here and signed and caught it. And like that word of mouth was going on. Uh, that was like, to me, it was like the biggest sign of, okay, like this is working. This is clicking with people. Um, and yeah, it was sort of funny because we would, I think we did a really compelling argument for here's the employer's offer. Here's the employer's initial offer. Here's what the employers come up to because we've been on strike and here's our union of demand, which is as high as we could get. So, you know, here's the gap and here's how far we could go if we push hard enough. Um, and then I think a lot of people were like, yeah, hell, I'm going to push harder for that. That makes a lot of sense. I'd like that extra, whatever thousand dollars. And then the tentative agreement gets signed <laughs> and we're, we've kind of oversold ourselves a little bit. And I feel like there was maybe some members that did our workshop that were like, oh, like now I know what I missed out on. Now I'm sort of perhaps extra educated and frustrated with that we didn't get that in tentative, but I mean, that's, that's sort of a different question. So, um, but yeah, I think it's good. It was very helpful for people to have some context for what was happening. Definitely made things easier. That's very fascinating. And uh, it's, yeah, that, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned about being able to uh, connect with people who had some of those skill sets um, within, uh, yeah, within the people closest to you to be able to do more of those workshops. And this that kind of segues into a question we have um, with connecting with others, but it's more looking outward. So the question is, um, as far as other PSAC activists outside of your local uh, during this strike, were you able to connect with any of those um, did you do initiatives together? Was there a connection that looked beyond your local with other PSAC activists to try to move things forward in the ways that you started to see was necessary and important? So in the beginning, when we started organizing the strike, um, I don't even know that we would have been able to identify who those other activists within the other components were. Um, However, being on the line, I think people kind of stuck together with their own coworkers or their own component. And actually at one point, Craig and I talked about um, it's for another strike and maybe something that people can, can do on the next picket line. But we talked about uh, running like a speed picketing kind of initiative so that people got to know who they were out there with because they were walking with um their own people and so spinning off of speed dating we thought we could send them out with uh <laughs> you know some new people so that they could learn who they were there with but um I certainly I was one of the only ones with the megaphone on the picket line um and needed some help with that at times and so with realizing how many people were not willing to take that megaphone, um, we were able to make some connections and identify some others. And so um, at one point, I, we were able to, um, yeah, just reach some other, some other activists and other components. And um, with the, one of the RVPs for another, for, for USJE, the, um, another component of PSAC, uh, 
all of a sudden him and I were planning a barbecue together for our members. And so um, we did that with uh, with another component and we had a couple of locals involved. Um, so we did do that on, on the Wednesday of the strike. We were able to, um, at one point, another branch president from CIU, another component came out and uh, he came and gave us a lot of feedback and really great. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't on the line with us, but gave us a lot of really great feedback. And so in that, we started really brainstorming on when we realized that PSAC was, was not going to organize us um, and that we were going to need to take the initiatives ourselves to be able to um, move things along because really they were there to provide us the basics to organize strike line. Um, but as far as you know, mobilizing to actually um, accomplish what we wanted to, which was in the end to try to amp things up a little bit, apply some pressures so that we could actually um, get off of the line because it started feeling like we were gonna be there for a long time. And so um, USJE was very, very successful at running some very hard lines, shutting down the penitentiary, shutting down, you know, delaying um, the entry into the parole building. And so uh, we definitely started organizing with them and talked about ways to sort of ramp up the pressure a little bit. And had um, had we stayed out a little bit longer, we definitely were going to be taking some steps altogether um, without PSAC to definitely um, apply that pressure that we needed to be able to mobilize and get out of there. That's tantalizing. Is there anything you want to say about what you were thinking of doing but didn't get to do? Um, so on the Monday, we actually had a plan. So we had buses and PSAC did help with organizing sort of the, the buses and things like that, the, you know, the facilitating. Um, but there was definitely a plan to um, picket some other locations and ramp up the pressure at the other locations like the RCMP building and um, go onto some busier streets and be a little bit more visible than what we were, so. Yeah, the only only thing I would add to that is um, the, uh, there was also, I forget how we even got on it, Craig, you probably remember better than I do, how we got on this plan, but we organized a, um, uh, uh, not a meeting, but like one of the MPs in the area, <clears throat> um, liberal MPs, uh, does like a regular uh, constituency greeting thing on weekends. Uh, and so we kind of sent, got the PSAC staff to send out an email to everybody in that writing. Um, to say, hey, we're doing this, get in touch. We got, I think we got about a dozen people all together that went down to this thing and uh, maybe not quite a dozen, but close and just sort of, you know, put a little pressure on the guy, right? Like show up and kind of, we had a chat about, hey, the wages are really a problem and this is really a problem. And, and you know, we didn't really, wasn't really convinced that he was gonna go back and and necessarily be a champion for us by any means, but um, it was sort of a, a good, opportunity to sort of work with some people outside of our own component and um you know a little targeted pressure for sure and the intent was to go back and and do it again and bug him some more but then the strike ended so that was sort of a good <laughs> <laughs> point but uh, i think yeah i think 
PSAC had organized, um, basically grabbed, uh, or you know, reached out to a few people who lived in St. Boniface, St. Vitale to go talk to a different MP, uh, I think a day or two before. And when we were talking about, I think that was your idea, but I, everything is such a melting pot when you're, when we're on the line that it's hard to remember where ideas come from. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we ended up going to a different M M uh, MP's um, community outreach. And, and yeah, I, 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 it's so funny. I already forgot about that. We were, you know, so many things were happening that, um, but it, it was, it was really good. We had, we, we basically shot an invite out to people who lived in that uh, riding and um, had a, a group that came out and was, you know, all with different perspectives and interests and stuff, but like all with a pretty clear consensus that, you know, what was on offer was not sufficient. And, uh, and I think, you know, it was a very good learning exercise, even though we only got to do it the one time, I think, you know, we could be, you know, initiating this before an actual strike happens next time around and keeping it consistent outside of strike cycles, even that sort of like outreach, just that it's member driven. So um, yeah, no, it was a very, very positive experience. Okay, so let's talk about how the strike ended. Um, interested in your thoughts on, on how it ended and on the tentative agreements that were reached and have now been ratified. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything specific to say. I guess it was sort of, um, there's, I would just say that there's a lot of energy amping up during a strike that you're sort of building up towards a goal. You inevitably don't quite get your goal because you know, that that's sort of how these things work. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's just, did you get close enough to your goal that you feel satisfied? You know, um, is it the perfect contract that I would have liked? No, it's not. Um, I still voted yes for it. Um, I'm glad that the strike is over, that we ratified it. I'm glad we didn't go back on strike because we would have been absolutely hammered. We were not ready for that. Um, and yeah, I think it's sort of, you know, did we get some wins? Yes, we got some wins. Did we get enough? No, you know, we didn't. Do Did we ever get enough? No, but I don't know. I can live with it. I think, yeah, I know Carrie's going to have probably the most insight into this, but I, I think, I don't think it was the right time to stop, uh, stop the sort of momentum because we were, because we started from such a sort of a, uh, no momentum position like we we were figuring stuff out like the day before the strike you know in terms of what's gonna what is it gonna look like tomorrow and we had to figure out everything on the fly again 19 years with no strike uh prior for us um it took us a while to get momentum going and i feel like it was really just starting to ramp up in that in those days before they call, like finished it off um i think it would have helped to to keep going um but i think once they stopped it the the momentum again came to a halt and to try to go about a second time, I think would have been really difficult. Um, so I, I don't disagree with the the decision to ratify once the bargaining team sort of came to that disagreement. But I think it was I, I wouldn't have agreed to to stop it based on what was on offer when they stopped it. I think once that decision was made, we're kind of in a tough position of sort of like, you know, what's the best way to move forward considering where we are at this moment. Um, but I'm hoping we, we take away a lot and can start the next strike having learned all these lessons and just sort of like start from a more, I don't know, quick paced day one, whenever the next day one happens to be. Yeah, I had a 
agree that it wasn't necessarily the best ending to the strike. Um, I think it was, like Craig said, it did take us some time to build momentum. Um, we definitely were seeing that people were becoming deflated. They were becoming tired. Um, we needed to switch things up, but we had hat tricks in our hat still. Um, and we still had things that we could have done together to be able to bring some extra energy and, um, you know, really continue on that momentum on the line. Like I talked about the speed picketing, um, we were doing another thing I forgot to talk about was we did like morning huddles to get information to people. So I think as we were bringing people together, people were definitely, um, tired, but still eager. And so when the strike ended kind of the weekend and people didn't know on the weekend whether we were going to be picketing the next week again or not, um, there was a lot of opportunity that was missed, I think, as far as time that we could have been organizing. Um, the communication was just, it was, it was nothing. It was basically um, figure it out components. And so um, we definitely had, we had a little bit more communication. Um, I know one, I can't remember if it was Craig or Chris said they kept their cards a little bit too close at times. I think in that situation they did, they definitely kept their cards way too close. Um, and I mean, I hear from the bargaining team and um, I hear it more and obviously for reasons while we were negotiating, um, they couldn't tell us, but this employer was an employer like they've never negotiated with before. Um, we didn't have any understanding of how difficult the treasury board was actually acting in this um, situation. And um, I think a lot of what we were learning, we were learning from the media rather than from um, you know, the people who could have given us a little bit more insight or um, given us a, just a little bit of a heads up, a little bit more of where things were headed. So definitely, um, were we happy that the strike ended when it did? I think so, just because um, it was it was an experience that we needed to go through, but it was a very difficult experience. It was something that we couldn't have continued um, for very much longer in the way that we were. Like Craig said, I mean, I was doing long, long days. It was much longer than 12 hours a day. Um, and we needed help. And it was, I um, I don't think that we could have carried on with the lack of um, organization a lot longer, um, but certainly a learning experience. We definitely needed to go through it and and learn from it. We definitely need to have takeaways to be able to apply in the future. And I think the biggest piece for us is that we, we need to use that information in the future and make sure that we can organize things better next time. Thanks, everybody. You know, from the outside, it looked to me, of course, I could be wrong about this, but it, it looked to me that perhaps the top leadership of the PSAC had not expected that there would be a strike and then found themselves on a trajectory where there, there was going to be one. Um, and then it looked once the strike was unfolding that there hadn't been 
an analysis about where were the employer's weak points and how could they be most effectively pressured, you know, in order to shift them at the table. Although it seemed that in certain cities, people were beginning to escalate um, and do more disruptive things like uh, some of the things that happened at the Port of Hamilton, if I'm recalling correctly, and, uh, and a few other places. So um, I guess I would like to ask you what you think the most important thing you learned from the strike was. If you had to single out one, what do you think the most important takeaway would be? And, and also, if you have any thoughts that around that that are connected to those um, those thoughts that I just offered. I've got, I, I hope it's not cheating, but I think I have two, if that's okay. <laughs> um, one, one thing that I learned from the info sessions in particular was uh, to go where the people are uh, in terms of getting messages out and getting communications out. Um, so one thing I forgot to mention until, until after, until after we were done talking about it, but um, we we did sort of move around to go to where people were with that after a while. We were doing them from one location and that was successful to sort of, once that word got out that we were there, uh, it helped a lot. But um, after a few days, we tried bringing, sort of walking our sign over to uh, the, the location at 280 Broadway and uh, did a session there for people who were sort of not able to walk the full line over to the way where we were. Um, and we did find a sort of a different audience there same thing with uh, our building at one point there was a day where there was a fire alarm in the building um, and so there's people who were both essential workers and people who were from different components and stuff not on strike uh, who came out and were sort of waiting around in the in the grass across the street uh, for the them to be cleared to go back into the building and so we came over and started doing info sessions for them while they were stuck as like a bit of a captive audience <laughs> during the evacuation um, and so that uh, you know we, we got a good reception from them as well, is people who were like, even who were into the bargaining unit, basically finding out what was really at stake for us. And, uh, you know, they were interested to know because they would be bargaining separately later, right? Um, and so they, when they got a clear picture of what was actually on the line, they were very, you know, not that they were antagonistic to start, but they were more supportive and more on board with what we were talking about. Um, so I think, I think that was a big thing. Um, and, uh, and the other thing was, uh, I, I think to, to David's point, my other sort of one note was like, um, I think the union, like us as a union, we have to be much more aware of what our, where our own resources are. I think one of the big disconnects was like, you know, I'm not sure if, the, if your analysis is exactly right. I, I, I don't have any sort of inside info on that, David, about whether they expected the strike or had thought about where the employer was weak. I think it might be more that not that they don't know what the employer's weak spots were, but they don't know where our own strengths are. They don't know where we have um, heavy organizing capacity or where we have particularly active locals who would be out on the line, be able to organize more effectively. They might only be looking at the employer and not doing sort of the internal audit of like, where do we need to organize people? Where do we have people who can go and do uh, a blockade successfully? And that's why we're, it feels like we're starting from zero a little bit. They don't know, they were sort of just trying to figure out where to put up strike or picket locations and stuff without really having the on the ground perspective of like, you know, someone like Carrie who can tell them what makes sense. They, they were not really consulting with those people from the start, I think. Um, so I, I think it's kind of a mistake to only look at the opposition and not really be focused on yourself leading into that, that situation. But anyways. I think for me, the most important thing that I learned, not that I didn't have the 
the value there prior, but for me, we learned that education is key for these people and for all of us. Um, we, the amount of information that helped empower people, just communication and the education by providing it um, was invaluable and it's gonna be invaluable for organization in the future. Um, and that's something that we didn't necessarily know I don't think any one of us would have said, hey, let's make sure that we educate all of our members before the strike. I mean, we were doing it. We were giving them the information about bargaining and, um, you know, giving them as much information. It was more communication, though, rather than education that we were really focused on. It really became apparent, apparent during the strike that um, education was going to be so crucial to kind of debunk some of the myths that people had about why we were out there. If people had some negative um, connotation or they had some negative feedback to provide, a lot of times we could sort of oppose it with that education um, and the, the alternative perspective that we were able to offer. And I think going forward, we definitely um, are very aware that we want to continue with providing our, our members an education, like the education um, about, you know, what, what, what we learned from the strike and um, what we can do to mobilize our members and have a, a greater impact in the future in being able to bargain um, for what we feel that we, well, what, what workers do actually deserve. Yeah, I think I would sort of, <clears throat> reiterate some of the stuff that Carrie and Craig have said and just say, you know, I think um, going into the strike, if you'd ask me, is it important to be prepared for strike? I would have said, yes, of course it is. It is it important to make sure your membership know what's happening? Yes, of course it is. You know, so it wasn't a lesson in the sense that I didn't know it was important, but I think it was sort of a, a, a wake up call to understand just how important it was that when, you know, we're kind of in the middle of this situation that um, there was so many times where I would kind of go like, oh, like if we'd had this done six months ago and not just our local, but sort of more broadly in, in PSAC, this done six months ago or this done three months ago or this done two years ago or whatever, we would have been able to take this thing that just happened and make it so much more powerful, so much more effective. Um, and it, in a strike position, there's nothing you can do about it then. You can kind of, we, you know, do what the stuff that we did and try and mobilize the people that you can. Um, but it's it's sort of too late for a lot of the background work that has to happen. Um, I was at a <clears throat> um, a talk by, uh, I forget what her name is now, Laura Felton or something like that. But the, the person from CUPE Ontario, that was the head of the local, of the education workers in CUPE that went on wildcat strike. And she was talking about how much legwork they did leading up to that. And it was sort of like, you know, like this light bulb moment in my head of like, yes, that's exactly what we should have done, right? If we had done that, there we would have gotten our 4.5 and then some, right? But we just, we, you know, and not a, not a knock against anybody. I think turning that from a home, largely homogeneous union where the members are all basically doing the same job to 150,000 plus people who are doing everything from 
you know, working on a Coast Guard ship to processing EI to, you know, whatever, right? Like all over the place types jobs is massive. But um, yeah, I think the, the big learning lesson here is we've got three more years before the next one. Uh, what do we do to get ourselves in a position where we should have been for this one um, and get ourselves ready for that? Because I mean, you know, it's not like the employer is going to get any nicer. That's great. It's great to hear your lessons and takeaways from going through that experience. Um, this question next is directed to members. It's with the focus of listeners who are members of other unions who want powerful, democratic, militant unionism. What kind of lessons and what kind of advice do you have thinking about other workers and other unions who are trying to push their unions in more of that direction? Yeah, I think it's just very union specific. I think what works in PSAC is not going to work in another union. I think our structures are very different and getting involved. I mean, I've been in unions where, you know, showing up, getting involved, you can have an immediate impact in a union as big as ours. You can get involved in the local, but to have a big impact on big issues like strike pay and that sort of thing, it's, uh, there's just, it's, it's big, right? I mean, it's, it's the difference between, um, <clears throat> between, uh, you know, a small town and a major city, right? Like it's just the level of involvement is, is sort of the kind of expectation of what it takes to change things is higher in some ways. Um, you know, so I don't think it's quite as easy as just saying, just get involved in your union. I don't think that's quite enough, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, finding other like-minded people that have similar perspectives to you and trying to break down the barriers that exist in unions between members um, to advance what you're trying to change, which is easier said than done. I definitely think that um, focusing on the grassroots has been um, so valuable and something that I probably didn't think of prior to the strike. Um, we, I mean, we, we definitely always have within our local, without a doubt, um, I mean, from the time that Craig asked me to become the president and there was no intention for me to ever even become involved to the level that I have, um, I went in with no agenda and, it, my my background is social work and so I've been an ally and an advocate for a long time and so um, that's my my focus is just being there for our members and I think that that has been something that our membership has has needed and so really focusing on what our members need and trying to build them up because if we don't have our members to rely on then we really have nothing um trying to organize with just us was only a very, very, it would, it would be a pretty pathetic picket line. Um, we needed to know our members. We needed to know our members' strengths. We needed to build on those strengths. And that's what we've done within our local, within our executive. Um, we had members who, that they had just showed up the first time and we knew that they existed within the workplace we've been disconnected because of the pandemic but um you know we had someone who lived close to me in the small town that I'm in and said hey I can come over for a wine night and make signs with you and I said great <laughs> like 
do it, right? So that was the first time she had ever come out for anything, but she's going to come and repair all of our signs and like help me out that way. And we had people come out of the, the, the woods, just um, step in because they had, you know, a desire to help in that way or a desire to, that was a strength of theirs. And we've, that's something that we've done is really found those strengths and been very transparent with them um, all along the way. And I think that that was a really important piece is that transparency about um, what the plans are and being able to give them as much information as possible. Um, so I think, and, and the other thing I would say is that organization is important. And I think in a way, um, PSAC and like, I think Chris talked about there had been a lot of anim animosity to the employer because of um, a lot of the, you know, the remote work stuff that they had come down on us and um, PSAC didn't want to be that um, militant sort of, they didn't want to be the employer, they didn't want to not pay people like the employer doesn't pay us because of Phoenix issues. They didn't want to be the um, employer who dictates where people are. And, you know, in the end, a lot of members, if they had had the education and they had known really the importance of what we were doing and how um, the organization of the strike as a whole would work towards the goal of achieving the, the collective agreement that we wanted, I think that that would have gone a long way. But because we didn't have that education out there, um, we needed to be able to organize better. And because we were really scared of, you know, this becoming the employer, um, there wasn't a lot of organization. So I think that that's a takeaway is that it's always easier to loosen the reins than it is to, um, you know, tie things up and pack them again. Um, and so I think just organize, organize and educate is the biggest lessons for us that I can really drive home to anyone. Yeah, I, I think on a, on like a micro level, that stuff that Carrie's talking about is like critical, just like, I don't know, building the personal relationships, like the time to organize for a strike for us that might be in two or three years is like now, like we're, you know, we're already like on the clock for that sort of work. Um, so just getting ahead of it as much as possible and like building the relationships, like talking to about like doing strike education and, and debriefs and stuff now for what's coming up in the next cycle. Um, and from like a macro and almost like a, uh, union policy perspective or whatever, uh, I know <laughs> we, I was sharing around videos after the strike or and during the strike actually, and talking to Chris and some Maureen and some of our other executive members about this. Um, but like the, the talk about, um, sort of like open negotiations, I, I, I don't know if that's the answer cause we didn't deal with it, but like, I going through the process, I kept thinking like, you know, this makes sense on like what wasn't working versus what could work. The, the Jane McAlevey stuff about, you know, tell your members what's on offer. Like what is the, what is the actual going on at the bargaining table and, and basically bring their power to, to what you're bargaining over as opposed to just like bargaining in secret and then letting them know what you got sort of thing. Um, I think that might be something I'd like to see sort of uh, considered or, or experimented with, with PSAC. And, um, 
but again, we didn't experience it, so it's hard to say definitively, but I, I know this didn't quite work out, so I, I'm open to other alternatives right now. Yeah, well, thanks. That's all really, really great stuff. Um, and I know that listeners are going to be able to draw from that um, things that they can take. And I hope that in the future, when future struggles at PSAC goes into, um, like you said, you can bring some of those things forward. I know that we can talk forever. And I have like a running list of questions that I'm like, there's about a billion here, but I'm going to just respect our time. And I'm going to just say, is there any final things that anyone wants to say? You have a chance to say anything you felt like you didn't have a chance to say or that you want to add in. And um, I give you that last chance as we draw towards the end here. Uh, I, I think, you know, the three of us had like particularly like interesting perspectives, particularly Carrie on like what was going on with the strike. But I definitely want to like do a reminder or like a shout out to like just how many people from were involved from our strike location and our local. Um, we're half the executive. There's other people who were involved from the executive from just members like like Carrie said, um, who, who took sort of lead roles on little mini projects or are on the strike line. Um, and, and like all of those contributions made up why our strike location was, I think, particularly good and our local is particularly strong. Um, so we're sort of sharing our stories, but there was a lot of other stories worth sharing and, and that are worth sort of like acknowledging. Yeah, I'd echo that. Um, I, on a daily basis, talk to members and I said, I am drawing on your energy because I need that. And the energy that people brought as far as even just, I know that my co-strike captain, um, a member would bring him different gel pens every day because our pens were freezing. And the little gestures of our members and the relationships that we made and formed were so important. And I think, um, you know, like I said, I was at a convention last weekend. Um, we had some really powerful resolutions that we wanted to move forward. And because of relationships that we built on the line, we were able to stand together. And the solidarity that we saw amongst the components at that convention were, it was amazing. It was breathtaking to see um, at times all of us organized together to really hit home to say this is what's important for us. And um, I think that the the strike, as much as there, we talked about a lot of the challenges today, um, there was a lot of really um, big takeaways relationship-wise and towards, you know, just um, building that foundation within our our local our executive um and then you know just better understanding like I said before the strike we wouldn't have known who the people were in the other components and at this point we've definitely banded together and said regardless of whether you know PSCC is going to organize us in the future or not we're going to band together and we're going to make sure that we're connected and organized and we maintain these ties because this is important and um we know that now is the time to build on what the foundations that have been established. And I think very much the strike was just the foundation of um, what we can build on to be greater in the future. Um, yeah, I have nothing really that insightful to add other than what became extremely clear to me by the end of the strike 
was that this is the dry run and the real strike is next time. Um, and we were really just kind of getting our act together here. Um, so whenever we go out again, assuming that the membership isn't totally disillusioned uh, with it, which I don't think they will be, but you know, there'll be some work to do there. Um, yeah, I think it was sort of, we'll probably look back on this in like 15 years, 10 years is like, yeah, that was the, that was the getting ready period, so. I think those are really useful thoughts because you know so many of our unions today uh, are pretty hollow shells, you know, and there's a lot of grievance processing and not a lot of other activities. So I think what you've described really is you've confirmed the old saying that strikes build unions, right? That it's actually through flexing those muscles um, that uh, that we build unions as organizations that are. Uh, you know, beginning to rise to what they need to be. Uh, and I'm just, in the spirit of education, going to put a plug in as we wrap up for a, a new book called Troublemaking by Lydia Hughes and Jamie Woodcock. They're British uh, union activists. Uh, it's a good short book that looks at some really inspiring examples of workers who've been said to be unorganizable, but who've organized and built strong unions. It also looks at how work is organized in our capitalist society, and it lays out some really good principles for organizers. So I think uh, that's just, again, the spirit of education a resource that I'll mention for people. Thanks again for participating in this episode. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solidarity Winnipeg. But really, the best way to keep in touch and follow what's happening in Winnipeg is to sign up for our newsletter at www.solidaritywinnipeg.ca. If you want to reach out to us directly with questions or comments, you can send us an email to info at solidaritywinnipeg.ca.